This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Our pastor was in the midst of a teaching and was in the section of Hearts Restore My Brother. My sister, we're going to catch on right there. We're going to let God minister to us. And we're going to hear the voice of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, ye which are spiritual, ye which are spiritual, <laughs> restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. Now, I want to concentrate on verse number one. It says, Brother, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. God has spoken to this ministry, has been speaking to this ministry. We have upon us the work of restoration. And the Bible is clear when it comes to restoration that we are to restore our brothers. Now, if we are to restore, that assignment includes the brethren, and we spend time, and we should understand, in fact, that assignment starts there. It starts with this house and with the brethren. And... The point being is God is dealing with us here and we have committed ourselves as a ministry. We're going to be a spiritually mature ministry. We're going to get the work of God done, which means this church has a work, which means each and every one of us has a work, and that work is to do the work of restoration. But this thing God has made clear to us, our heart has to be right. And so when he says, if a brethren be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. So there's a qualification for the ability to restore. You must be the spiritual. And we understand not everybody meets these qualifications. And so we've been introduced into what it means to be spiritual. If the spiritual would be those who are filled and governed by the Holy Spirit. The spiritual would be those who have the ability, the power to love. And I don't think I'd be changing anything if I add this to our qualifications for the spiritual. So the spiritual are those who are filled and governed by the Holy Spirit, those who have the power, the ability to love. The spiritual would be those whose hearts are right. Do you hear me? We are the spiritual. We're going to be those who are filled and governed by the Holy Spirit. We're going to be those who have the power, the ability to love. Our heart is going to be right. Because if our heart is not right, we cannot do the work of restoration. Now look at this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 12 and 13. 
Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, so the will to do God's will comes from God. So when God says, we need to restore church, then your will is to get God's will done. That's God. The will to get his will done, the desire to accomplish the will of God that is in you has come from God. But this much, this much, this is very critical. This much we need to understand. To have a desire doesn't mean you have the right heart. You can have a sincere desire, but not have the heart to get the work done. And you've got to be careful. Because sometimes we get busy with the desire and yet not do the work to make sure our heart is right. And I hope you understand this, because it's really simple. I believe we experience this to some extent in our everyday lives. But have you ever had a person you cared about? And maybe they're going through some things, but you have some information that they need to know that's not going to help them out. And so you go to this person armed and equipped with this information, and you look them in the eye, and you know what they're going through, and suddenly you have a desire to tell them the truth, and you know they need to know the truth, but you say, you know, but, but I, can't, I can't tell them. See, you have a desire to get this work done, but you don't have the heart to tell them. And so it's very possible on an everyday basis, we have a desire to do a thing, but we recognize we don't have the heart to do a thing. So there are certain assignments that are out there, certain tasks that are out there, that the desire alone is not enough to get the work done. So God has an assignment for us. And he's letting us know our heart must be right. But we cannot confuse the desire to do his will with the right heart. Because the desire might get us to be active, but without the right heart, it won't be effective. Are you with me? So, the desire to do the will of God, that is God. That's of God. But you can have the desire, but yet not have the heart. And some people truly have the desire, but just don't have the heart. Amen. Now, now here's a critical thing about this. I, I hope you're following me with on this. But some of us think we have the heart and all we have is the desire. Let me say that again. Some of us could be you. The desire is there but you just might only have the desire and not the right heart. And this is very this is why this is so critical because when we think the desire is to have the right heart when God says we need to do the unseen work We'll say, no, my heart is good. No, no, you're confusing your desire with the right heart. First Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. 
God's ultimate choice is not the person who desires. God's ultimate choice is the person who has the right heart. First Samuel chapter 16. This is when the prophet Samuel has come to anoint God's chosen. Verse number 6. And it came to pass when they were come that he, the prophet Samuel, looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, now here's the thing about it. God looks where? God looks on the heart. Now, I believe that Eliab probably had a desire to be king. And I believe if Samuel had not heard the voice of God and told Eliab, you are the Lord's anointed, I believe he would have stepped up because the desire was there, but he would have messed up the people. Because his heart wasn't right. No, no, you're not getting me. You're not understanding me. I believe God is telling us we need to do the work of restoration. And we step up and say, I'm willing. I have a desire to do the work of restoration. But God is like, no, no, I'm giving you these messages because your heart's not right. And you'll mess up the work of restoration with just the desire and not having the right heart. Psalms 24. Oh, you did bring your Bible, right? The reason why it's so important to bring your Bible and to go to Scriptures is so that when it comes time for you to have these, this flow out of you, you don't have to say the preacher said. You don't have to say the minister said. You can say the Word of God says. Psalms 24. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, uh, when we start out, it's based off of what we have heard and and who we heard it from, but eventually the point of this is to get it in you so that you make it your own because none of us have a franchise on the Word of God. It's available for all of us. Psalm 24. Let's start at verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a strong desire. No, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. It's not the desire. The desire is good. We need the desire. And the desire is of God, but the desire in itself is not enough. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Our heart must be right. Jeremiah, chapter 17. Oh, yeah. I like going to Scripture. <laughs> Jeremiah, chapter 17. You know what Scripture does? It confirms that it is the Word of God. I, I like going to a scripture after a scripture after a scripture because it confirms in the mouth of two or three witnesses that this is the word of God. Jeremiah chapter 17. So you can receive it as it is. Not the word or the opinion of a man. But as, as it is in truth, 
the Holy Word of God. Jeremiah chapter 17. Our heart must be right. Verse number 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Now, now, our heart must be right, but here's the problem. The heart is deceitful. (laughs) Amen. Glory to your name. Which means, in all honesty, we all have work to do on our hearts. But in order to get the work of restoration done, which we have the desire to do because it is of God, we must have the right heart. But we must recognize that your heart where it is now is not in the place it needs to be. The heart is this deceitful thing. This is why, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm really challenging you on your scriptures, aren't you? Ezekiel. Chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. heart has to be right. But the heart is a deceitful thing. The heart is most deceitful, is it? What it says. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse number... Uh, verse 24. Now this is God dealing with the nation of Israel. He says to them, verse 24, For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Now, you know why they are scattered. They're scattered because of their disobedience. They're scattered because they were not right. And when God had chosen them above all people, they separated themselves from God by their own choices. And so now God is saying, but but there's, there's going to be some restoration that goes on for you. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all the all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And because of this, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. Do you hear God saying, saying now in order for you to be restored, I'm going to have to do a work in your heart because the heart you bring is not the heart that's going to get my will done. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh. See, he's saying now, you need an exchange. Because the heart you have right now is not sufficient to please me. So a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you cause you to walk in my statues, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Do do you hear? I'm going to make you spiritual is what he's saying. See, see, because you're going to be be filled and governed by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Amen. And you're going to have the right heart. That's why I believe we don't change anything when we add that to our definition of those that are spiritual. The heart has to be right. God says, now I'm going to put my spirit within you, but I'm also going to give you a heart. So the will and the desire is of God. 
Turn to Proverbs chapter 16. The will and the desire to do his will is of God. I'm going to make this statement. The desire to do God's will is of God. But the preparation of the heart. And now we just read he's going to give us a heart. But the preparation of the heart is our work to get done. Uh, do you hear me? Uh, don't get it twisted. When God says he's going to give you a new heart, it doesn't mean that suddenly you're going to wake up and the heart is going to be right without any effort on your part. We must prepare our hearts. In other words, the heart requires us to prepare. Proverbs chapter 16. Start at verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Wow. Does that contradict what I just say? I don't believe so at all. We'll see it. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Now, now here's a question. Where are the thoughts? As a man thinketh in his heart. Oh, the thoughts reside in the heart. Well, now he says, now, if our thoughts are going to be established, if our heart is going to be established with the right thoughts, there's something that precedes it. Commit your works unto the Lord, and then thy thoughts shall be established. Well, didn't you just say the preparation of the heart is from the Lord? No, no. What God does is he puts you in a position that your heart can be prepared. And then you have to do what you're supposed to do. Let me make sure you understand this. God did say he's going to give a new heart. But don't think that is an excuse for you not to do what you're supposed to do. It does say the preparation of the heart is from the Lord. But then it goes on to say, you have to commit your works to the Lord. Then your thoughts are going to be established. So as far as your heart goes, that's your work to do. This is why we've been hearing God speak to this congregation about doing the work on our heart. That is our work to do. You can't hear the word, refuse to do the word, and think your heart is going to be clean, clean, cleansed, purged. You are going to have to prepare your hearts. Ezra chapter 7. <laughs> Ezra chapter 7. I'm not saying anything new. I'm just making you see it, where this is coming from. <laughs> Ezra chapter 7. This has been our foundation. Throughout our pastor's teaching. And us preparing our hearts. Verse number 6 says, This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Ready 
means that he is now the spiritual. God wants to restore. Ezra has a work of restoration, but Ezra could not do the work of restoration until he was ready. And then we go on and read in verse 10, here's why he was ready. For Ezra had prepared his heart. Well, I thought God was going to give the heart. No, no, Ezra had prepared the heart. God had put him in position where his heart could be prepared. Glory to your name. You, you don't even understand. You don't even understand. See, the things that we hate to face is God putting us in position to prepare our hearts. <laughs> Let's keep going. I, I, look, I know where I'm going. You don't. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. He committed his works to the Lord. And to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So, so you see, Ezra is following along with this. God has an assignment for Ezra to do. Ezra must have the right heart. And, and, and the heart starts out in a wrong place. And God wants it in a right place. Puts in Ezra the desire to see the temple rebuilt. But he couldn't do it until he was ready. And the desire alone was not sufficient to make him ready. His heart had to be prepared, and he had to prepare his heart. Now, this is what I wanted to get to. Second Samuel, chapter 3. I'm doing all right on time. That makes me happy. Second Samuel makes you, makes you happy too, trust me. Second Samuel, chapter 3. Now, I want to present to you some of this episode where Abner is the main character. The characters are Abner, David, and Joab. These are the main characters of this episode. Now, here's what we need to understand about this because I won't be able to go into it in detail, so I have to be able to explain it to you to some length. This is the time that David gets to step into the throne. Okay, so, so David had for a while been the anointed king without being king. And so now David is to the point where he is entering into the throne. And David has entered into the throne, and he has a challenger. That challenger is the son of Saul. And the son of Saul has a partner. That partner is Abner. And so you have David claiming the throne, and Abner supporting somebody else claiming the throne. So, and we understand, we know from our vantage point, that God's choice is David. That David is the rightful king. Abner at this point doesn't recognize that, doesn't see it. So Abner has made a wrong choice. Listen to me. Abner made a wrong choice. But Abner is a family member because he is of the family of Israel. Brethren. If a man be overtaken in a fault, Abner was called in a fault. He made the wrong choice. And he was sticking with his wrong choice. 
See, that's when you're overtaken. You're sticking with the wrong choice. Speak, God, speak. Now, I want you to understand this. How do I say this? Some of you are sitting in a place where you've been told you're in the wrong choice. You've made the wrong choice. And you and your stubbornness, you are sticking with your wrong choice. But I want you to know this. Wrong choices have consequences. Wrong choices have consequences and they result in unintentional casualties. Now, I'm getting this from Abner, David, and Joab. This is where this is coming from. But wrong choices have consequences and result in unintentional casualties. What do I mean by casualties? See, once our choice has done what it's going to do, here's what I mean by casualties. There are things which are forever with you that can no longer be undone based on your wrong choice. Amen. There are things which are forever with you that cannot be undone. Time won't take it away. It'll always be with you. That's a casualty. Or, there are things that are forever lost to you that can never be regained. I want you to know that right now. Wrong choices have consequences and they result in unintentional casualties. There are things that will forever be with you from your wrong choices. Or there will be things that will be forever lost to you because of your wrong choices. The impact might be you alone. Or the impact might stretch to others. Oh, hear me on this church. Oh, this, this, we're getting someplace here now. We're getting someplace here now. So, you make a wrong choice. There are going to be consequences. There are going to be unintentional casualties. There's going to be stuff you picked up that you don't want to pick up, but you got it from your bad choices, and you can't get rid of it. There are going to be some things that you lose that you can never regain again because of your wrong choices. That's a casualty. Now, in some of these things, you might be the only one affected, but in some of these things, you're going to affect others. Including brothers and sisters in the Lord that you will need for your restoration. I'm staying right there. Oh, because this works two ways. <laughs> so here I am. I'm supposed to be a restorer, but I might be a sufferer of a casualty because of your own choice. Here it is. You're going to come to a point in time where you need restoration, but you cause the one who should be there to restore you much hurt and much pain. We're in Second Samuel chapter 3. Talking about Abner and his wrong choices. So he made a wrong choice. He chose the wrong side. But Abner realized his error. 
he eventually realized his error. Hopefully, prayerfully, eventually, our error is evident to us. If your error is never evident to you, you will never change. You will refuse restoration because you don't think you need to be restored. That's why I say hopefully, prayerfully, eventually, your error will become evident to you. I'm telling you, you are in some trouble if you're always right. If everyone else is always wrong. If it's always their issue and not mine. You will never see your error. But eventually you've got to muse what people have been saying. Eventually you've got to meditate on those things. Eventually you've got to consider, you know, is there a sliver of possibility that it might be me? Maybe my poo-poo stinks. You know, now that's how we are. Everybody else's poo-poo stinks, but our, our poo-poo is like fresh, air freshener. No, come on. Yeah. But that's how we get in our mind. And, and trust, trust me, God lets you know about your error early. Amen. Glory to your name, God. God let us know. The only issue is that God didn't let us know the way we wanted Him to let us know. You know what I mean by that, right? Now, if so-and-so had told me, I would have listened to them. But this person, even though that they are speaking the word of God, I won't receive it from them. But trust me, God has been dealing with you about your error. God is faithful like that. God just won't sit back and watch you be a dummy. He doesn't get entertained by that. He will send you a word. Let me tell you this. God will send a word when you refuse to show up. It didn't mean the word didn't come. It means you weren't where you were supposed to be. And trust me, when you remain in those wrong choices, casualties are going to happen. Hmm. But Abner realized his error. And many times, if not most times, we don't see our error when others first see it. Amen. I'm, I'm talking about this all here. We have errors. We've had errors. We make errors. And at first we don't see it. We don't understand it because another people are telling us, that, no, 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 no that, that's them. That, that's not us. They don't see it. They don't understand it. And God is trying to get something over to you. And so hopefully, prayerfully, eventually, <laughs> we recognize our errors. Otherwise we will remain there. Now look at this. Hopefully your error is evident to you. But it is your responsibility to turn from your error. It's your responsibility. Why didn't you stop me? It is your responsibility to turn from your error. You're not getting... See, I don't care. See, I'm ministering to two types of people here. The restorer and those who need to be restored. Now, I'm telling you who need to be restored, it is your responsibility to turn. Well, they didn't say it to me the right way. It is your responsibility to turn. Well, enough people didn't tell me. It is your responsibility to turn. Well, the church, when they have their services, you know, they have their services at a time that's not convenient to me. It is your responsibility. Get rid of the excuses. You have no excuse. Once God has made it evident to you, you are in error. It is your responsibility 
to turn. The blame game does not work with our Heavenly Father. It might work on some saps down here. But it will not work on the Heavenly Father. And when it comes down to it, that's the only one that really matters. Because He's the one that wants you restored. You're not going to play games with God like that. So Abner made the wrong choice. Abner realized his error. And Abner turned and went to David. This is called repentance. So Abner, recognizing the error of his ways, goes to David, the rightful king, turning from his wrong choice. You in Second Samuel chapter three. Let's look at verse twenty one. Well, let's start at verse twenty. So Abner came to David to Hebron, and twenty men with him. And David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go. And will gather all Israel unto my Lord the King, that they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desire. And David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Now, David forgave Abner and was ready to move forward with Abner. Remember, David is a man after God's own heart, which means he has God's heart. So David is dealing with Abner as God deals with us. David accepts Abner, who had done him wrong. This is restoration at work. Amen. This is a powerful example of restoration at work. Who had Abner done wrong? David. And he goes to David, and David says, Abner, I see that you turned. And since you turned, I don't have a problem with you. This is not Abner's story. This is our story. <laughs> this is our story. When we sin, we sin against God and God alone. Isn't that what David said? I have sinned against you and against you alone. Only against you have I committed this sin. And David receives Abner in peace. God receives us in peace. We've been restored. What a work of restoration. See, David is a man after God's own heart. God stands ready to receive the person who turns to him and away from their ungodly choice. No, you don't hear me. He's ready to receive. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory. He does not add strings and attach strings to your turning to him. 
He's just ready to receive you. What a wonderful God. This is the kindness of God. Keep your ribbon there. Turn to Titus. Chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Is that right before Hebrews? Am I thinking of that right? Not too long before Hebrews. Maybe not right before. Titus chapter 3. God stands ready to receive the person who turns to him and away from their ungodly choice. Do you hear me? God stands ready. God is ready. There are some people who are out there who are caught up in the wrong choice, but God is standing ready. He's standing ready. Did he stand ready for you? Like you stood ready for you, he's standing ready for somebody else. There's an Abner out there who's caught in the wrong choice. But somebody's praying for Abner. Somebody's praying that Abner sees as everybody else sees. So that Abner can turn from his wrong choice. And when Abner turns from his wrong choice, God says, I'm ready. I'm ready. Come on to me. That's the kindness of God. Titus chapter 3. Starting at verse 1. This is one of my, this scripture ministers to me every time I go through Verse 1 says, put them in mind. I want to say put them, it's talking about us, okay? We would be them. So put church of living water, the people of church of living water in mind. To be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready. Uh, do you hear? To be ready. To be ready. God says, I'm ready. Now, you need to be ready. See, I was ready to receive Abner. I was ready to receive you. I'm still standing ready. You need to be ready as well. To be ready to every good work. Verse 2. To speak evil of no man. To be no brawlers, but gentle. Showing all meekness. See, see brother, when a man is overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of... To speak evil of no man. To be no brawlers, but gentle. Showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes fools. Disobedient. We ourselves stuck with the wrong choice. We were deceived. Serving diverse lusts and pleasures. Living in malice and envy. Hateful. And hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Oh, do you hear him say, you remember where you came from? Remember where you were? But what happened? The kindness and love of God was extended toward you. And not, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, who stands ready. But according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm, I'm sorry, but this just ministers to me. It's not the grace of the person who ministered to you. It's the grace of God that was at work that got them to minister to you. It's God's grace because He's standing ready. And God says, because I'm standing ready and I have grace ready for them, you need to be ready. This is the kindness of God. 
Turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 3. We're God's agents. We give room for God to work as we apply ourselves to restoration and meekness. I'm telling you, God is a good guy, so we should be a good people. Because we're His agents. We allow God to work when we apply ourselves to the work of restoration and meekness. So what did we say? We said Abner made the wrong choice. But Abner realized his error. Abner turned and went to David. We call this repentance. And then David forgave Abner and was ready to move forward with Abner. Ready to move forward with Abner. Do you know what ready to move forward with Abner is? I'm not holding what you did against me before against you now. Because if I did, we couldn't move forward together. But David forgave Abner. And was ready to move forward with Abner. But Abner's bad choice had a casualty that caused Joab to suffer loss. Makes you want to go back and read it, doesn't it? Well, you ought to. See, it's of God that you will to go back and read it. (laughs) But Abner's bad choice had a casualty that caused Joab to suffer loss. And remember, casualties something you can't get back. You can't undo. I mean, that's long-lasting. So Abner's bad choice had a casualty that caused Joab to suffer loss. And that loss... Joab was not willing to forgive. You know who Joab is? He's a member of David's church. No, no, you know, you, you, I'm, not, I'm not being plain enough, right? Right. So, so David's the pastor, and David says we're going to do the work of restoration. But there's a Joab in David's congregation. That says, uh, I'm not going to forgive that. And so David's going in one direction, and Joab's going in another. And Joab wants David to succeed, but he doesn't have the right heart. So Abner's bad choice had a casualty, caused Joab to suffer loss. Because remember what we said, that sometimes you're the only one who gets impacted. But other times, other people get impacted, and it just could be somebody that you might need to help you be restored. Uh, no, 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 you're not getting this. You're not understanding this. The whole congregation needs to be involved with the work of restoration. The whole congregation needs to be involved. And somewhere along the line, there's going to be somebody who needs to be restored that hit you. Unintentionally. No, no, no. Go back. Go back and, and go over what we said about casualties. They're unintended casualties. Abner didn't mean to hurt Joab. Abner didn't expect that his wrong choice would end up in this kind of casualty. 
And he definitely didn't understand that he needed restoration and that when he would need restoration, that his casualty, which was unintended, would impact somebody he needed for his restoration. So Abner's bad choice had a casualty. It caused Joab to suffer loss and Joab was unwilling to forgive. So Joab had a strong desire to serve David as king, but Joab didn't have the heart for restoration. The question is, do you have the heart needed for the work of restoration? Now, now here's the thing about it. Joab is under David's authority. The heart of him who is in authority needs to match your heart. This is called unity. See, if your heart is contrary to the heart of whom God has placed as your authority, you're in the wrong place. I don't need an amen because it's true. If, If you see the heart of him whom God has placed as your authority, if you see the heart of your pastor going one particular direction and your heart is not going in that direction, you are in the wrong place. Either as the wrong church or in the wrong position with God. You might be in the right place as a church, but in the wrong position with God. Something's got to give. You either have to line up or get out. He ain't preaching love. Yes, I am. See, because the work is the work of love. And if your heart can't line up, again, ye which are spiritual... Who are the spiritual? Those who are filled and governed by the Holy Spirit. Those who have the power to love and those who have the right heart. This is all about love. Anything contrary to that is selfish. See, Joab was selfish. He was thinking, but I got hurt. And there is, God is standing ready, but Joab is like, I'm not cooperating. Look, Abner was free in his mind. Let that sink in. I'm loving this. Abner was free in his mind. Joab was not in his. Oh, get this. Joab had made the right choice, had been in the right place. Abner had made the wrong choice had been in error, and now he's ready to be restored, and David is at peace with Abner, and Abner's like, I'm free in my mind. And Joab, who should have been free, is the one who's in bondage. You in Second Samuel chapter 3? Let's start at verse 21 again. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go. And will gather all Israel unto my Lord the King, that they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desired. And David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. He's at peace in his mind. And behold, the servants of David, David and Joab came from pursuing a troop. 
and brought in a great spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he was gone in peace. Do you hear the repetition here? Abner was gone in peace. Abner in his mind was free. Verse 23. When Joab and all the host that was with him were come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king. And the king had sent him away, and he's gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away, and he is quite gone? Thou knowest, Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee, and to know thy going out, and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sirah, but David knew it not. Abner is at peace. Joab's not. Here's Joab's challenge. Joab's challenge was to receive that person who in his mind hurt him severely. Oh, bring it on home. Bring it on home. Uh, you know what, what he has now? God has now put him in a position that he might prepare his heart. And then let me take my time again because this has got to sink in. This has got to sink in. Hallelujah. This has got to sink in. Joab's challenge was to receive that person who in his mind hurt him severely. And Joab refused to get over the grudge he had with Abner. This is your challenge. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to your name. See, we don't see it like that. What we're seeing is the hurt that was inflicted upon us when the... Yeah, we're the victim. <laughs> when the criminal wants to turn from their crime... We got our mind on how we were victimized by the criminal. But God is standing ready to receive your criminal after they've turned from their crimes. But you still hold that crime against them. And here it is. God puts you in a position where the very person who hurts you the most now needs you for their restoration. God has put you in a position where you can prepare your heart. Oh, God, I desire... Yeah, but you have to have the right heart. You, you were somebody's criminal. You were somebody's criminal. Remember, wrong choices. We've all had wrong choices. They have consequences and they result in unintentional casualties. Somebody was victimized by your criminal behavior. God still received you. Now, you're the victim. And someone else out there is a criminal. But remember, in time past, you were a fool. You were the deceived. You were the hateful one. You were hating others. But after that, the kindness and love 
of God appear to you. And, and I like that word because it's a challenge. Just say amen on that one. Amen, brother. It's a challenge to receive the person that hurt me. When God puts you in position to be a restorer of the one who hurts you, then you see where your heart is. You see it. Amen. Then you see it. We sit up here and we're not challenged. And when the word goes about the change we need to make, when we're not challenged, we think we're good. But then the self-same one we never wanted to have to minister to. God brings our way. And then we see, oh, that's why you ministered to us the way you did, God. Because my heart's not right. Because someone did you wrong does not mean God does not want them restored. <laughs> I know you think you're all that. But you're not. See, because it's not your grace, it's His. It was His grace that cleaned you up. It's His grace that received you when others had refused. Now, don't play the refusing role. When your heart is not right, it is not your time to minister to that individual because you cannot. You can't. Again, this is all, we're saying the same thing over and over, and we're trying to bring it home to you. You cannot do the work of restoration with the wrong heart. And restoration is going to be on an individual basis. It is a person-to-person ministry. When your heart's not right, it's not your time to minister to that individual because you can't. 2 Samuel chapter 3, starting at verse 26 again. And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sirah, but David knew it not. So Joab is doing this unauthorized. Verse 27. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, Joab's brother. Asahel was a casualty of Abner's wrong choice, which happened to be Joab's brother. So Abner needed restoration, was in position to be restored, it was all right with David, but Joab came and undid David's work and put Abner down. But he went into this with the wrong heart. He wanted one-on-one time with an individual who needed restoration with a heart that was wrong. When your heart's not right, it's not your time to minister to that individual because you can't. You can't. 
And when I say you can't, in other words, Joab should have avoided Abner. That's sad, isn't it? Because that's a condition we shouldn't have. But if our heart isn't right, that's what we need to do. And we shouldn't be that way always. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Speak, God. Speak. And I was all right when you said just avoid them. No, no, but, but, but in all honesty, that's just saying I'm going to keep the wrong heart. And we can't be workers together. If God has told us we have to have the right heart, but you refuse to have the right heart. So now that I'm separated, now I recognize the error of my heart. And now I've got to get in a position where I can fellowship with the person who's all right with God. You can't root yourself in that attitude where I've got to stay away from them. But you have to do the unseen work <laughs> of preparing your heart. Amen. I'm sorry. We started this with the understanding that the desire to do the will of God is of God. So you can't tell me you're separated from your brother. You're separated from your sister. And there's not a desire in you to get that right. That desire is in you because it is God. And it is his will to receive a restored brother. A restored sister. And that's our work. That's who we're supposed to be. So our heart has to overcome some challenges, people. It has to overcome some challenges. And, I'll, and I won't call them easy challenges. These are difficult things. <laughs> These are difficult things. Here are the challenges of our heart. Some of them. But especially it goes along the lines of, well... You know, let's go back to Second Samuel chapter three, verse twenty-eight. So Joab has done what he wasn't supposed to do; couldn't help himself, had the wrong heart. Verse twenty-eight. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, "I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever, from the blood of Abner the son of Ner." You hear him saying, "David's like God. I had no partnership in this." hurting an individual that I was ready to receive for restoration. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. And let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or one that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. Do you hear this? David said, I am so contrary to this attitude that let the severest penalties be inflicted upon Joab for what he's undone. So Joab and Abashi, his brother, slew Abner because he had slain their brother Asahil at Gibeon at the battle, or in the battle. And David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, rend your clothes and gird you with sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David himself followed the casket. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth. Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters, as a man 
fallest before wicked men. So fellest thou. Now, you don't hear this. Joab is a member of David's congregation. And he said, you fell before someone who did wickedly. I have nothing to do with this attitude. Now you're understanding me. If your heart is not aligned with the authority God has placed in your life, you're in the wrong position. You need to line up in position or get out. People wept again over him. And when all the people came to cause David to eat meat while it was yet day, David swore, saying, So do God to me and more also if I taste bread or else till the sun be down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them. As whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. Do you hear me? The congregation is going to line up. They're in unity. That's the heart we're going to have. We're going to mourn when someone who should have been restored wasn't restored because wickedness was done in the congregation. Verse 37, For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel. Wow. And I am this day weak, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zariah, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. I'm sorry, but you don't want to be the reason your pastor gets upset. God puts one in position of authority who has his heart. God gives us pastors according to his heart. And when you refuse to do the work that lines up with God's heart, you will frustrate your pastor. And the self-same one who should be praying for you is praying against you and your family. This is not a joke. God greatly desires. This amazes me about God. The greatness of his love. I believe at times it is greater than we imagine. He so desires that the wicked turn from their wickedness and be brought unto him and be made member of his family. I believe Jesus desired it so much that he went to the cross for it. Amen. Glory to God. He didn't die for good people. He died for people who made wrong choices. And who stayed in wrong choices. Such were some of us. Got to remember where we came from. So here's some challenges of the heart. Past experiences. Personal past experiences. By this I mean holding grudges against those who've done you hurt before. Because of it, your heart is damaged. People have done you wrong. Specific people. You hold grudges in your heart because they've hurt you. Another difficult challenge is past experiences from a general standpoint. By that I mean holding animosity toward a group of people, a type of people, are an institution. What do I mean by that? Well, because you had an experience with a man. Now, all men are like. 
Because you had an experience with a woman. Now all women are alike. Because you had an experience in a congregation. Now all congregations are alike. <laughs> so now you pass it on your past experience from a personal basis to a general basis. Because you had an ungodly experience that hit you hard. Now you're, you're talking about generalities and holding animosity toward groups of people or types of people or institutions. All preachers are like this. Amen. This is real. And then there's hearsay. Hearsay. You have an experience that you've just been told. <laughs> Amen. Hearsay. Don't fall victim to hearsay. It's the worst kind of challenge to have. You've been told someone among the brethren means you evil. So now you have a grudge against them. You've been told about a group of people. You've been told about a type of people. You've been told about an institution. And what somebody supposedly experienced. And you pass it on to yourself. This ruins the heart. These things lead to prejudices. We start prejudging things based on our own personal experience, based on our past experience that we pass on generally, based on things that we receive from hearsay. And so we in turn start discriminating against people. What do I mean by that? Saying they're never going to be saved. They're never going to be right. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to your name. Isn't that what Joab did with Abner? There's no, there's no way in the world that man is saved. There's no way in the world he's changed his spots. Uh-uh, I don't believe it. <laughs> Amen. Glory to your name. Yeah, I, I know, I, I know that, that we're just so holy. We're just so upright. We're just so righteous. Our thoughts are so pure. We never get to the point of, of saying, who? You mean, nah, I, I, unless I see it with my own eyes. And even then, I still doubt it. Because understand, there's a God who's standing ready. There are Abners and there are Joabs out there. Where Joab got hit by Abner's casualties. But Abner gets a desire to turn it around. And God stands ready to receive Abner. But Joab... Did not have a ready heart. He had not prepared his heart. Because these challenges he never faced. He never dealt with. He never properly dealt with them. He held grudges. He held on to past experiences. There are people who hold on to their discriminations or their prejudices based off of hearsay. We can't be like that. Here's what you need to understand before we start discriminating and saying that people can't change. Here's your word for the day. God can change man. Get your fingers ready. Get your fingers ready because we got witness. Philemon. That's right before Hebrews. 
Philemon. Verse 10. There's only one chapter in Philemon. Verse 10. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. So, so I in my bonds had a chance to minister to Onesimus. Look at this in verse 11. Which in time past was to thee unprofitable. But now profitable to thee and to me. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels. So Paul has this testimony of Onesimus. Onesimus at one time was unprofitable. But God can change men. And he who was at one time unprofitable to you, now because God can change, he's changed. And now it's profitable to you. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. I love it. So Philemon had to get over some hurdles in his mind about Onesimus. Once Onesimus, always Onesimus. No, 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 no. God can change man. Acts chapter 15. Verse 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take John Mark with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. Paul says, that man cannot minister with me. He is not equipped to minister with me. But then when we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, <laughs> Amen. Paul said, John Mark is not fit for the work God has given me to do. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verse 11, Paul is writing some words and he says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark, the same John Mark I didn't want to go with before. Take Mark and bring him with thee. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. Oh, some change happened. Don't tell me God can't change man. So Paul was like, no, Barnabas, let me tell you, he can't minister with me. He's not fit for it. But when time goes on, Paul understands, but God can change man. So who was unprofitable for me is now profitable for this ministry. Mark changed and he grew. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And we know that the church at Corinth has some issues. 
Wow. Look at verse, let's start at verse 6. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so thou rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. So, so why do we need to repent? Because we were wrong. So the church at Corinth was wrong. They were in a wrong position. And Paul had to tell them about their wrong position because they could not stay in that position. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Because I want you to pay attention to this. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. A whole organization changed. Glory to God. God can change men. God can change men. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because hey, we'll read uh, 1 Corinthians and think, man, this church is messed up. But don't you know God can change? Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Verse, verse 23. This is after the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And the rich young ruler, he has some issues with his heart. He has some other challenges that we didn't mention here. <laughs> but he has some challenges for his heart. And in verse 23, Mark 10, verse 23, And Jesus looked around about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. <laughs> but Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, uh, let me explain this. How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? And in other words, he's talking about their heart is fixed on riches. And how hard it is for them to enter into the kingdom. It is easier, verse 25, for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, now this is a tough work. This is a hard work. If anybody's going to have challenges getting saved, being changed, it's these people who trust in riches. Verse 27. And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. No, no, you didn't get that, did you? You didn't get that. See, Joab saw Abner and said, there's no way Abner changed. Abner was too deep in the wrong choice. But what's impossible to man is possible 
to God. Oh my goodness, this is so great. There are people who we think are beyond restoration, beyond redemption, and they are far out there. But his arm is not sharp. That it cannot save. And what's impossible, you know, we, we love to say that about the impossibilities of, of when we're faced with our challenges, but God is talking about getting men saved. Hallelujah. There's nobody outside of the power of God's grace to be able to be redeemed. God saves sinners. God restores them that are lost. Even those who have a hard time believing that it is so. Look at this at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. There's been somebody you've been praying for and it seems like it's hopeless. But with God, there's nothing that's impossible. Acts chapter 9. How can we forget about Paul? Paul gets converted. God speaks, Jesus speaks to Ananias to go find Saul. In verse 13 of Acts chapter 9, then Ananias answered, Lord, 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 Lord. I have heard, there's hearsay going around now. I've heard by many of this man. How much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. You want me to find this man? You want me to go to this man? This man is evil. No way he's been changed. Look at verse 26. So Saul truly was converted. And when Saul was coming to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. He said, I'm going to get, I'm going to get mixed up with that church. I'm going to go ahead and join church. He essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And believe not that he was a disciple. Uh-uh, no, this is a trick. See, you smooth, smooth like the enemy. You're going to come in here and do something wrong because there's no way in the world you've been saved. First Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter one. <laughs> Verse twelve. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me. For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the poster child. 
if anybody couldn't get saved, I was at the top of the list of unsavable. So I'm chief. How be it? For this cause, I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. In other words, there's nobody I can't minister to because they look at my past life and they say, if he can do it for you, he can do it for me. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. Now, you know, this is Paul's testimony. He's not, he's not talking about the road to Damascus. He's just, he's just talking about he changed me. He saved me. He delivered me. What a wonderful thing. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me for it. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Don't you see? He had his Abner experiences, but there was no Joab to kill him. He went to God after he'd made wrong choices, and God says, I'm ready to go on with you. And, and Paul is just saying, now look at me now. Look at where I am now. I'm ministering the gospel. I'm testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle by the will of God. And look where I came from. Who was before blaspheme and a persecutor injurious, but I obtained mercy. Because I did it ignorantly unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. I'm a living witness. And it's worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy. That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now, unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, our hearts have to be right. And the challenges of our heart is that God will send us people who have caused us hurt in our lives. And we cannot be prejudiced. We cannot be to the point that we're bringing them to a place of discrimination that God can't do it. Not in their life. Now, God can do it for anybody, but He can't do it for them. And if we ever get to that place where we just can't minister to somebody, something's wrong with our heart. And we've got to do the unseen work so when that time does arise, we can do the work of restoration. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.com.